Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. And as we do, can we just thank the worship team? Come on. I just sent Sammy and Zeno a bunch of fire emojis. Thank you so much for leading us in worshiping God tonight. That was awesome. Well, hey church, I'm so glad to be here. And tonight we are gonna talk all about love. And uh, hey, if you are new here, if it is your first time, or maybe if you are not super familiar with church or with this kind of church, I would just love to say welcome at the outset and just invite you, why don't you just be open to Jesus tonight? Um, Just so you know, many of us in this room, we believe and know Jesus to be our Lord and our Saviour, the one from whom all good things come. And uh, He is here tonight and He can get to your heart and your mind tonight, regardless of what I do and don't say, regardless of what happens in the room, regardless of what's going on in your mind. So if you would like to be open, be open. That would be great. All right, let's read some Scripture. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Ephesians 3, 16 to 20, and this is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to a church and by extension us. I pray out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God." Amen, how good. Well, when I was a little girl, I just adored watching the video of my parents' wedding. I loved it. I watched it so many times that I can still hear the song that they like had put over the footage in my head if I think about it now. And I just loved looking at my mom as a bride. She was so beautiful in her white wedding sari and then so beautiful in her red reception sari. I just loved everything about it and I was glued to it very often. And thus began at a very young age this captivation with the idea of love which uh, seems to happen to a lot of young people, maybe more so girls, a lot of young people in, at least in this part of the world that we live in as they grow up. And uh, in primary school, this captivation was translated into posters of the Jonas Brothers on my bedroom wall, (laughs) particularly Nick, who I hoped to marry one day. And my dad was not a huge fan of the posters, but he was somewhat appeased by me telling him that they were Christian boys in a Christian band. And then in high school, it was translated to a wedding board on Pinterest and frequently Instagram stalking the young adult couples in church that I just thought were so cool. 
And as a young adult, it was translated into just this astronomical level of excitement whenever someone in my world started dating or got engaged or got married. And you know, wonderful as all of those things are, except for maybe the Jonas Brothers posters, and, and normal as they are for a young girl growing up in the modern West, they do very much highlight to me, now in hindsight, the way that our culture has shaped me and actually shapes all of us when it comes to how we think about love. To borrow a little bit of wording from John Mark Comer, perhaps our biggest misstep regarding love in our culture is that we tend to put ourselves at the centre of love. Not God, not others, but the self. You know, we often think of love as our affection for or our attraction to someone. And often when we say that we love someone, what we mean is that we want to take from them for our own gratification. Michael Novak writes about how romantic love is a Western near obsession, supposedly the key to all happiness. And we all know so many people in our part of the world, they just consider it's like the core tenet of happiness is romantic love. You know, it's a requirement for a fulfilled life and people crave and desire to find this love, experience this love. They're constantly assessing, do I have this love? This love that's often characterised by like mad passion in the movies and songs. Consider the, uh, the cycle of the rom-com phenomenon, right? A romantic comedy will paint this idealistic picture of what a relationship could be, um, giving often young people ideas in their subconscious about what is going to happen in their life. And then potentially when that doesn't happen, the rom-com becomes an escapism option or um, a way to vicariously live out that romance that they might not be having in real life. And the cycle continues. I was driving yesterday listening to one of my own playlists, which I made myself, put every single song on there. Um, but because I was thinking about this message, it was in my mind, I was paying a little bit more attention than usual to the lyrics of the songs. And then I started skipping through, just trying to find one that was not all about a self-focused ideal of love. And we went from, baby, I'd rather go blind than to see you walk away from me. All right, skip to, I don't want to look at anything else now that I've seen you. All right, skip. I think I'm going insane thinking about you all the time. All right, skip to, you're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Which, to be fair, is a fantastic song. But it's no wonder that we can be susceptible to thinking that romantic love is the ultimate, right? The messaging is literally everywhere. And the messaging is this, your life is in limbo and then you find love. That perfect fit for you and then everything changes and you will be fulfilled and you will be happy forever and life will be wonderful. And perhaps you are thinking, okay, sure, yes, I'm tracking, but what is the relevance of this? Fantastic question. Before we can really start talking about the love of God, which is actually what this message is about tonight, the love that Ephesians describes as deeper, higher, longer, wider than we're able to grasp, the love that Jesus says will always be about others, we have to be able to acknowledge the fact that we do not come to the love of God devoid of preconceived notions about what love is. Just this blank canvas ready to be loved with the perfect love of God. We have to acknowledge the fact that we come to the love of God with a whole multitude of subconscious ideas and assumptions. 
We have to acknowledge the fact that we are formed by our life experience. We have to acknowledge that the culture we breathe from the time we are young, through the media and social media and just societal values, teaches us to view love with a consumeristic, self-focused lens. A lens where love means marrying a Jonas brother or whatever it was for you. The truth is we are conditioned to absorb lies about love for our whole lives. The pastor John Tyson once noted, most of us are walking around with gut instincts that have been formed by culture, but haven't been thoroughly thought through. And our perceptions about love affect the way that we will engage with God's love. If we operate out of our culture's pattern for turning people and even God himself into objects for our own gain and our own gratification, we will never know the fullness of the love he intends. Now, I'm really, really not trying to hate on romance tonight. Please hear me. It obviously has its place in life. It very much has its place in Scripture. God is all for it. I am a fan. But I'm just saying, as elevated as romance is in our culture, it has nothing on the reality of God's love. And so uh, we're not going to like... Amen. We're not going to like go into it and break down Eros versus Agape tonight, which I just want us to be aware. If we project our weak and watered down human ideas of what love is onto God, we are starting in the wrong place entirely. The place where love begins is not in the coffee shop meet cute on the big screen. And it's not with that DM in your inbox. The place where love begins was actually before the creation of the world because love begins with God because God actually is love. Amen. He is a triune God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, yes, that is an abstract concept that we won't fully unpack right now, but the point is God in Himself is a community of self-giving love. Right? We can't have love without community. You can't have love without giving and receiving. And the fact that God is three in one means that He literally is love embodied. And He existed before the world. And that means that love preceded everything that is in this world. And then that God who is love, He creates the world from love, a beautiful world with everything in it in a perfect state. And then He creates humankind, you and I, because in His love, He wants to exist in relationship with us. And because God wants that relationship to be real, living, breathing, chosen by us, not forced upon us, He leaves us with a choice. I invite you to live my way with me, but the choice is up to you. And as you may know, we choose collectively and individually to reject God. We choose ourselves, the self, over God. And because this was not God's design when He made the world and set it in motion, this is the wrong choice and it brings sin into the world, brokenness into the world. Sin being the wrong that you and I choose to do or the wrong that happens to you and I around us and to us that we have no control over and just the brokenness of the physical world and of all of humankind. Sin being our failure to love God and love others the way He always intended. And because God is a perfect and holy and righteous God, our sin separates us from Him. So now the very reason why He created us in the first place to know Him in relationship is severed and is broken. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So we sit in this situation as humanity where we need to pay the price for our sin. 
But John 3, 16 to 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus lived a perfect human life, bore the weight of the sin of the world on the cross. He died. Three days later, He was resurrected. And now we are invited to live in the Kingdom of God, live life with God right now with all of the power that comes with that and to place all of our hope in a future with Him where He will have redeemed the world to a state of perfection. We will want for nothing and live with God for eternity. This is the truth about love. This has to be our starting point for thinking about what love is and what love means. This love is robust. This love is self-sacrificial. This love is others-focused. This love is transformative. And this love is available to us. So might I ask you tonight, is your life defined by this love? If you've been in church for even five minutes, you have heard about the love of God. You have heard that Jesus loves you, but does that actually track in your lived experience? Dallas Willard said, love is not a feeling, but the divine way of relating to others and oneself that moves through every dimension of our being and restructures our world for God. This is a love that is full of power. In the Ephesian scripture we opened with, Paul describes God's love as long, deep, high. These are physical, measurable qualities. The love of Jesus to Paul was real. He experienced it. Might I ask you tonight, is God's love real to you? Do you know it? Do you experience it? Do you give it? You know, Jesus loves you. It is the phrase and the statement that we all probably need to hear and receive and absorb and internalise more than anything else in life. But it's also the phrase that we tend to zone out as soon as we hear it. And we often live like it's a detached reality that doesn't have much bearing on the day in, day out of our lives at all. How much does the love of God inform how you see yourself, how you see others, your job, or what you choose to eat, or what you choose to say, or how you choose to spend your time. So as we consider that tonight, we are gonna juxtapose a few ideas. We'll look at the cultural assumptions that we pick up from the world and compare them with the truth of God's Word as they relate to love. We're gonna have a look at a human view of love versus a higher view of love, which is God's reality. Are you ready? All right, number one, in a human view of love, love does not judge. The human view of love is that if you love me, you will never judge me. You will let me be me, you will let me do me. Our culture tells us friends shouldn't judge each other, romantic partners shouldn't judge each other, parents shouldn't judge their kids. Within the church community, we shouldn't call each other out about stuff because that is not loving. This is because our culture values tolerance at all costs. And that is a nice sentiment at a surface level. It definitely lends itself to politeness and easy, comfortable interactions for sure, but it's also really superficial. It does not go very deep. If the goal is no awkwardness, then great. Never calling things out that are broken and damaged in each other's lives, that's a good measure of love. But if our goal is a robust, self-sacrificial, others-focused, transformational love, not having any kind of standard for what is actually good and what is actually right and what is actually healthy and what is actually pure is not going to get us very far. 
So in a higher view of love, we see that God's judgment is His love. Tim Keller explains it far better than I can. This is what he says. Many people in the modern West don't accept the idea of a God who judges. They want a God of love. But a God who does not get angry when evil destroys the creation he loves is ultimately not a loving God at all. If you love someone, you must and will get angry if something threatens to destroy him or her. As some have pointed out, you have to have had a pretty comfortable life without any experience of oppression and injustice yourself to not want a God that punishes sin. How good is that? God's love is not about romantic feelings, it's about human flourishing. He gets angry about the things that hurt you and hurt me. He gets angry about sin because it destroys us. Not because He's temperamental. He's anything but temperamental. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's not quick to get angry. He's quick to compassion. He's quick to grace. He's quick to love. Slow to anger. But because of His great love for us, that anger must exist. Right? There is still a war being fought in Ukraine as we gather tonight. There are people in the third world that do not have the basic necessities that they need to live. Even in this room, there is pain, there is sickness, there is luck, there is trauma. How could a God who sees all of that and not get angry truly be a God of love? He couldn't. So yes, God gets angry and the book of Psalms describes Him as the righteous judge, but He is not a righteous judge who judges us from a distance and condemns us to our fate. As we just talked about, He is a righteous judge who came into the sin of the world, bore the weight of it on the cross that we might not suffer the consequences of our sin. His judgment is an expression of His love for us and He bears the weight of His own judgment on Himself. His judgment is love. And church, when we live in the love of God, we will extend that to others, even though it can be awkward sometimes, right? I know that the best friends that I have are the ones who are willing to point out sin in my life, not because they're trying to judge me, but because they love me, right? All right, number two, in a human view of love, passion is desire, Desire is running through the airport to catch the object of your affection before they jump on a plane to disappear forever, right? Desire is about intense feelings. And there's nothing wrong with that in the slightest. God has intense feelings towards us um, that you can read about in the Song of Songs if you want. And um, God is all for us having intense feelings for each other that you can also read about in the Song of Songs if you want. But passion as solely desire is a simplistic view of love. In a higher view of love, in God's view of love, we see that passion means to suffer. That is the meaning of the word at, at its roots. Before the word passion ever meant desire, it was a reference to the suffering of Christ on the cross. Meaning you are passionate about whatever you are willing to suffer for and meaning that Jesus is passionate for you and for I. To us, amen. Amen. To us, passion is typically about what we feel, but to God, it is about what He could give, what He could withstand for our good at any cost to Himself, at every cost to Himself, regardless of whether we reciprocate it or not. 
I remember um, once sitting in a uni lecture and it was a philosophical discussion about harm and my lecturer put up a picture of a t-shirt and the t-shirt had an image of Jesus on the cross with text below it that said, hang in there baby. And the room just erupted with laughter, right? Like about 118 year olds who thought that was just hilarious. And I sat there with tears streaming down my face as I realised that Jesus had suffered for these very people that were ridiculing Him, regardless of whether they would ever accept and reciprocate His love. C.S. Lewis once said, love is never wasted for its value does not rest on reciprocity. That is a high view of love. That is a God view of love. And that is the way that God loves us. Romans 5, 6 to 8, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person that someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God suffered because of His great love for us. And now we have this profound hope in anything and everything that we navigate in life. No matter what comes our way, Christ has taken the weight of it all. There is no pain, no sickness, no loneliness, no rejection, no brokenness that He does not know and has not borne. Scripture calls Him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and our high priest who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have hope because when He bore them, He overcame them. He has the power. He is the power. And because of Him, now nothing can define us except the love of God for us. All right, number three, and the band can join me, but um, no need to rush, guys. In a human view of love, love is absorbed. So this is every movie where the main character is basically just like a shadow of an existence until love comes into their life and gives them meaning. Or every wedding movie where the bridesmaids are fighting over the bouquet because they have to be the one to get married next, right? The human approach to love is that we need it to fulfil us. And when we get it, we absorb it for ourselves, our own pleasure, our own gratification, our own comfort, our own security. This is the kind of love we are taught to crave by our culture. But in a higher view of love, God's view of love, love is embraced and then extended. We receive, we are transformed, and then we give. 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His Son, His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, when we have a plentiful supply of something, it's relatively easy for us to be generous with it. We can give it away. When we have a full supply, we're not worried about running out, so we'll give to others. But when things are scarce, sometimes we can become desperate that we're gonna run out and we might be tempted to exploit someone else to get what we need, right? When I run out of makeup wipes and it is late at night and I am desperate to clean my face before going to bed, I will exploit my sister by stealing hers. 
So often in our relationships, because we do not have a full supply of the love of God, we become desperate for affirmation or affection and we will exploit each other. Our ability to love others is directly related to our ability to receive the love of God. His love is steadfast, it is consistent, it does not change, but we are not always the best receptors of it. There is always more of God's love to know and experience, however long you've been journeying with Him. I hope this evening you have not settled for a level of God's love that is not its fullest. This is a love that is big enough to save the entire world, yet personal and intimate enough that it meets you in your every moment, in your pain, your struggle, your joy, this very day, in this very second. Now I was saying to our young people recently, um, there is a lot in this world that I don't know, a few things I kind of think, a couple of things I'm relatively confident about, but the only thing that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know is that God loves me because He proved it through His death and resurrection and because I experience it every day. And yet, even though it's the only thing that I would say, I definitely know that I know, every week, sometimes every day, something will come up in my world and I will be found fearful or insecure or grasping for control. And it is just an indicator that there is more of the love of God that I need to experience in my life. Ephesians 3, one more time. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Might I ask you tonight, church, are you rooted and established in God's love? Are you actively presenting yourself to God with the intention of receiving more of His love? If you've never tried it, you are invited tonight. Or if you've gotten so comfortable with your routine Christian life that you are running off a love from God that was maybe sufficient for three years ago, but is not sufficient for today, you are invited to come back to Him tonight. Because this is the thing, our world is in desperate need for a higher love a selfless love, a compelling and sustained love, but we cannot be to others what we do not first experience. We cannot extend what we have not embraced and we cannot give what we do not actively know. Are you aware that God calls you His beloved? Do you know that He delights in you? If you have never known it, He's right here. And if you have forgotten it, He is right here. In a moment, we are gonna sing and then you will have an opportunity to respond to the love of God. But um, would you stand with me, church? And if you want to, I would invite you to close your eyes because I would just love to read the lyrics of a song that describes the love of God over us and then we'll sing with the team. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That's you and me. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away, as wounds which mar the Chosen One bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon His shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. 
Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Team, would you lead us? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.